Hey folks, this is Kyle from Daydream Surf Shop. Welcome back to our second episode of our case study series. This is where we take a deeper dive into the shapers that we work with here at the Daydream Research Center. This episode is all about little surfboards. Greg's surfboards are extremely important here at the Daydream Research Center. As some people know, displacement holes are kind of the black sheep of surfboard designs. They're not super popular. They've always kind of been this cult classic thing that a small selective group of people really enjoy. And there's always kind of been a mystery behind that. This kind of stems from Greg Little, who's an extremely private guy. Greg Little has been shaping since the late 60s and just retired a couple years ago. Kirk Putnam has been his right-hand man for years and is carrying on the legacy of Little Surfboards along with Scott Anderson here in Los Angeles, California. It's great that we have Kirk Putnam here to show us a little glimpse inside of Greg Little's world. He was an extremely private character and really didn't want to be acknowledged for much at all. He just wanted to shape and build boards and enjoy surfing. He led a very private life. Just to give you an example of how private he is, his own son tried to do a documentary on him once, and they got a little bit ways into it from what I understand, and and he told him that he could essentially do the documentary once he was dead. He has, he, he has no intentions of marketing himself. He's never done anything to really promote his boards or his business. This has just all happened naturally. So while we were doing this podcast, we also put together a video with our friend Michael Sucre, and we looked high and low for stuff that we could find on Greg. For example, usually you can find a shaper shaping in their shaping bay. There's tons of photos of all shapers shaping in their shaping bay. To my knowledge, there isn't any of Greg at all. They do not exist. They're not in someone's shoebox. They just That was his private thing. We'll have Kirk Putnam take you through the inspirations of displacement holes, where it came from, kind of tracing back to the lineage of where it started back in 1968 at Malibu when Nat Young first visited and uh, rode a board that looks really similar to the stuff that Greg still shapes to this day. It really kind of set the tone for little surfboards, which has just been slowly refined from that one design for the past 50 years. So here's KP to take it away with a little bit more behind the mysterious little surfboards. Greg started surfing Malibu probably around, uh, I think around 56, 56 or 57, and um, his dad took him over to Malibu, and I think he had a balsa wood board, I don't know where he got that board, I'm not sure, but anyway, Greg started surfing Malibu very early, um, surfed a lot with Lance Carson, they were both young surfers together back then. And then Greg got better and better. I'm going to make this kind of short. <laughs> um, he got good enough where he was putting on. He was put on the Jacob Surf team. I mean, Greg was really, really a good longboarder. Heavily influenced by obviously Dora, Lance Carson. You know, Greg surfing with Dora. They were they were good. You know, they surfed a lot together. So Dora's influence on that style. I mean, they both rode for Jacobs at the same time. So watching Mickey surf and how he rode the wave was a huge influence on Greg. And Greg was a really good longboarder. There's, there's, a, there's a magazine right here. He's in the fold-out of the Malibu issue in 1965, I think. All the surfers from Malibu, you know, all the hot surfers of the time, and he was one of them. So he was put on the Jacobs team, and I think 
he was going to college and he was going to be he was an art student and he started a shop over here just down the street right straight in Woodland Hills and he started selling he started doing dings repair and he sold Jacobs and he sold Yaters so he's a Yater dealer and he starts shaping up probably around 67 I think he shaped his first board a buddy of mine actually has it yeah I wish I had it here but I don't have it um, he has his first board, which was basically, a, it was just like a Yater spoon. No logo, just real, it was a nice board, but it looked like a Yater spoon. That's, you know, that was the board of the time, so he copied something that he knew, you know, sold him and knew how it worked. So he started shaping, and, and at first the boards, a few of them are there in the background, those old V-bottoms, those really old beat-up ones. Those are some of the first ones. Those are really low numbers, like maybe 37. I think I have 47, number 58. There's about three of them back there from that era. They're pretty crude. I mean, but all the boards that were being shaped at that time were, when the shortboard things started taking off, I mean, there were, we didn't have as good as info as Australia did. You know, the boards were kind of crude and the blanks were just longboard blanks. The guys were lopping the tails off and doing V-bottoms. A lot of experimentation. So that's where his shaping thing started. And that was over in the shop in Reseda and Ventura Boulevard. <laughs> right next to a gas station. You couldn't do that. You couldn't do that nowadays. Because the glass shop was right there next to a hair salon. It was, it was classic. Nat Young came to Malibu, skipping ahead in 1968 and he had a stringerless round tail keel board and he was making his deal with Dewey Weber to do he was he was going to ride for for Dewey Weber so he was here visiting them they were setting up that deal that's how the Weber ski got made and everything but anyway that that round tail keel board was it was eight feet long there's a picture of it right there that board summer 68 that, when, when Nat came and rode that board at Malibu, that is the square root of little surfboards and the path that we're still on. That, I mean, that, the way he surfed Malibu, everybody's light just turned on and went, that's how we want to surf. I mean, Nat just like top to bottom, just carving, you know, just, you know, modern, really modern surfing. And, um, that was it. The boards went from that to round tails, and Greg had or now Greg had gotten his shaping skills down. You know that were that, so it was perfect timing. He was really shaping good boards, and then the timing of the round tail, and having all the really good riders, the younger good riders from Malibu riding Greg's boards. You know, and he was making a lot of boards for all the really good surfers in Malibu. And the reason it was called the Death Board is Steve wrote it in and tried to shoot the pier and hit the last piling and probably almost killed himself. But the board got a huge ding in it, and that's when he took it home and fixed it and painted it red and put this. That's how it got the surfboard skull and cross and named the death board. So that one was kind of an important board, and it just works good. It, you know, Especially Steve Krajewski, a.k.a. Esteban Borges is his real name, but back then, you know, it was just Steve. And Annie Davis, his glasser, was a really good surfer. And um, there's a whole list of guys, you know. 
um, all those guys were writing his boards and testing his boards, and and that led us down the path of refining the uh, displacement hull type boards, even to this day, something like that. And you go down to the beach, and every week you'd see something new. I mean, it was absolutely incredible time to be interested in surfing and surfboards. Just everything changed so fast. It was, and that's what got me interested in surfboards too by 69 i'd shaped my own board and especially after innermost limits came out now you're progressing from 68 69 70 now innermost limits comes out well that was just a whole nother huge influence of those boards now you're taking and 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 this whole time you're surfing malibu in the summertime and you're surfing um rincon in the winter so it's not a spectator sport you know the the little boards aren't made to like go out there and and put on a show. it's more of a personal thing you know it's how you, the board feels on the wave and more of a pure line you know following the natural curl line of the wave so you're not out there trying to I, I mean I appreciate what the guys do on the short boards totally I mean they're incredible athletes and everything I I don't I personally don't want to surf like that but I appreciate their skill and everything. The boards are made to surf efficiently, you know, and it's for a feeling that you get, so it's more personal. So the real displacement hulls, although Greg did make everything, he didn't just make hulls. I mean, he made every type of board. Through his, through his career, if you, you went in and ordered a twin fin, you could get anything you want. 85, I think. He moved to Kauai and quit building boards. So we all ordered a couple of boards for our last boards, and that was it. He moved. And um, he told me when they put a signal in at Malibu, he was going to bail out. And that's what he did. They put a signal in at Malibu, and he moved. (laughs) It was the first signal, and he was like, I'm out of here. So they moved to Kauai, and he stopped building boards for maybe quite a a few years. And he was was a handyman over there, and... and, um, Slowly but surely, he he made a few boards, around ninety four or five, and then I, and then I slowly talked him back into building boards, and then that's how our bringing boards over from Kauai, that's how that started, and then we did that for, up and just till, I guess it's been a couple of years now, almost, yeah, almost a couple of years. So now he's retired, retired. This, this was it. Because I, you know, I had his, he sent me his planers and, you know, this is for sure. He's done. So that's Greg when we, um, when he dismantled the Reseda shop and moved the shop from, uh, that sign was on the front of the Reseda shop and he moved that shop to um, Agora, was where the shop ended up being where the retail was but then he he built boards at his house and that l is that l the one thing that i'm missing is the underline greg sent me all the templates when he retired um not all of them but a a box he built two giant boxes and filled them it weighed over 900 pounds and all the stuff that we've worked on for the last since 1994 or five that was a, a lot of it. So all the templates and all the personal boards are all in there. 
because there's there's a lot of custom surfboards in there. He was still making templates for every guy, you know. So yeah, that's where those come from. So I know how he is about how picky he wants his stuff to be, and so the glassing schedule is exactly to his specs. They're glassed with the exact same material that he's always used, and the blanks are the same. So it has to be done right, or we weren't going to do it. I mean, if I couldn't get and and some since Scott and I have already done this, he already Scott's just he already knows. He knows how I want them done. He knows how Greg wants them done. So that's really worked out good. I think we make the best boards now, really, than ever. I think they're, you know, we we use great. We used um, we scan the boards because we had I had Greg shape me like eight boards of the classic shapes, and to replicate those boards over and over again by hand with the way Greg's bottoms and the way the decks are, it would be really hard to do it over and over and over again and get them just right. Um, so the machine really works to our advantage for that. And just keeping the, bo- keeping the whole thing going the way it's always been. You know, I want to keep it, we want to keep it the same. I don't want to stray too much. I'm not out there um, trying to create any breaking new ground or anything, you know. So a little bit, you know, here and there. So it's fun doing that stuff. So I think he trusts me to do it. I don't think he would have done it with anybody else, you know, because we had a, such a long-term relationship. I've been, I brought the boards over here from Kauai for, since, since 95. So up until just a few years ago. So we had a long-term thing, kind of figured out how to do it and everything. Although when he did run his shop, I don't care how crowded the shop was on a Saturday. He was only open Saturdays and Wednesdays. And this is when it was in Agora. And, you know, you could even go over there on a Saturday, and if the surf was good, he'd just have a sign on the door. Gone surfing. Be back later. Call me later. Sorry. So it was on his own terms. But um, but when the shop is open, I don't care who you were. If you were the hottest guy at Malibu or one of his guys, if there was somebody else there, a little kid with his mom that was ordering a board, he completely gave you 100% of his attention, like totally, and did not rush. He'd just go through the whole thing and then just be done with that and go, all right, who's next? Next, It didn't matter who it was. He just really was good about that. But he didn't want anything to do with any publicity he wasn't into any of that if it you know if it he just wasn't into that it's just not his thing because i've had people try to approach him on Kauai and find his house and they knock on the door and he's like dude it's my house you know i build surfboards that's a whole other thing i do but this is i don't want to talk to you you know so he's just real private and I, I, he's always kind of been like that. I really respect him for being... He's, he stayed true to his uh, beliefs and all that stuff. Just, he just wants to make surfboards and and um, and live his life on Kauai, you know, privately. I get that. And he left all that other stuff. I'm more... I'm, it's not, I wouldn't say I'm into it, but, you know, it's, to keep it going, you got to have somebody that, you know, can't... Is, who to promote it, you know, and just to keep the boards going, I wanted to do it, so it worked out. Customer. Every customer had a template made. He, the shop was, I mean, that's just a frack. That's just from a few years of Kauai. 
just a few years. So I got a box of a 900 pound box pulls up in my front yard with all that in it. But when he quit in 85, all those were, were either um, given away to the customers. We were allowed to all go over there and get what we worked on, which a lot of guys did. And then at the end, he just stacked them up and let anybody take what they wanted. And then on the very last day, he just cut them all in half and threw them in the dumpster. He's doing it again now because he quit again, and now he's, he went to the swap. Or he had some guys in the neighborhood in Kauai that he gave a bunch of templates to. We were talking about that. And uh, I kind of called him. I'm like, you know, I kind of prefer you didn't really do that, but he goes, well, what are we going to do with them? I want to recycle them. And I'm like, well, that's, that's good to give them guys, as long as they don't try and sell them. You know, it was mostly given to guys who he wanted them to try and use them. So, you know, that's another advantage that I have is I can go through those now with the rockers that I have in certain boards and I can take the old templates and make a new board for a guy because it's got the right rocker and, you know, and, and replicate that board. Because the rockers and the bottom contours are set. You know, he's got a formula that he wants. So we don't really mess around with that very much. Each board's kind of almost has the same type of rocker in it. Um, except for maybe like the L-spoon and stuff, you know, it's a little bit more, you know, older. But, um, yeah, everybody got a template. It was really cool. He had a table with a big old sheet of paper. So you'd pull out your old template or a board that you liked, and he'd set the board down. He goes, what do you want to change? Some guys would say, I don't want to change anything. So you just get that. Or you'd say, I want to pull the tail in. He'd make you draw it out. Next time you came in, you had a template and a new board. It got put back in the rack with your name and, number on it and he gave you a discount he gave you a, a discount for every board that you got you got a little bit off the next one so guys would have stacks I mean certain guys um, like Gene Cooper was an old little guy Gene had a stack of templates and Steve Krasky everybody did everybody had their own template you, you got a template for every board you got made so you could go back and reference it pull it out, you, you know, instead of guessing, you know, you'd either have the board and the template and you could go pull it in a little bit. Okay, well, we'll make you another board. And then you have that template to work off of and you can change it again. So everybody just kind of slowly refined things. I, I had all the, most of this stuff in here is from his shop, that desk, that other desk on the other side, the book rack, the sign, a, a lot of the pictures. And when I first did it, I had it set up like you walked into a shop because it was a, it was about this big it was a little tiny building in agora and it, the manufacturing was not there it was just a showroom the building's still there and um it was just a little deeper than this it wasn't very big and it had like a table out here i had it completely set up exactly in the beginning but now i've got so much crap that i really can't set it up like that um, another thing he was super cool about is um, if there was a board in there that was used and you wanted to try it, he'd just go, go try it. Go over to Malibu and go surf it at Zuma. Just try not to ding it. If you like it, you can buy it or I'll make you one. I mean, he just loaned boards out to guys and let them try stuff. and It was fun. It was, it was fun getting a board from Greg. People loved going. They have stories about hanging out there on Saturdays and going to the shop and second-generation kids doing it. I should restore this. These things are really fun. So that was kind of our, that was one of our thruster hull experiments. 
And these, these went really fast and worked good. But eventually we went, eventually we went back to um, one fin. And even Steve and I, when we did, when we did the Bajorquez board with, Steve would always get the board with one fin and then find out where the one fit worked and then put the side runners on. And then one day we, were, we, I, we both came in. I'm like, do you think it needs side runners? And I'm like, no. And so we just never put them on. So kind of a, you could use a, you could use a twangy or saddle center fin, you know, but then you were compensating with the side runners. And we realized if you, if you just dial in the one fin, you know, which to be a little bit bigger fin, you're, you're good. You know, you don't really need the side bites. Some guys like them. We st- I still put side bites on certain boards for guys. And, and the good ones were, you can see it in the movie in the plastic fantastic machine where McTavish is sitting down and he's talking to Skip and Menos. And who else was sitting there? But those were the shapers. So it's, it's Skip Fry, Mickey Mignos, McTavish, maybe somebody else. I, for, I forget who was sitting there. But those guys came back with the real information. So obviously Skip's V-bottoms are like, they were really good. When Skip came back, he made some really good V-bottoms. And Yater made really good V-bottoms. John Price from Surfboards Hawaii made really nice ones. Um... There was quite a few guys that had them kind of slowly dialed in. They weren't... See that? This is how... It, it, this this is a good one. So Midget shaped this in Australia. It wasn't made here in America. And that big fiberglass fin, and then you get the plastic fins that we were making that were just like, you know, wow, they were real rubbery, so it didn't make the board work very good. But this is a real plastic machine here. So this is probably probably around 60, late 67 or something like that. There was kind of a point where the boards kind of stopped, where we kind of hit a point where we really liked them, and it seemed to fit where we, how we wanted to surf. And so they didn't start changing very much. It just kind of slowly evolved um, to where we got to a point where we think they work really good. I mean, we haven't made any big changes in leaps and bounds and designs. I would say the most radical thing that we did was maybe the burrito board, which was just kind of a fluke, really. Steve Hadley ordered one, and I was like, he bugged Greg to make it, and Greg's like, what? What does he want? velo that you can stand up on he's going oh do you know what the dimensions are i have that template and i'm like well if you want to do it do it if you don't you know i'll just tell him you can't do it so a week went by and it just showed up he just made it and when i took that it's this orange board here when i took that thing out of the box i was like whoa that thing is maybe one of the most radical littles i've ever seen you know the tail was so wide it was literally like velo just blowing up it's fun to do that because you, George's board, the fiberglass spoons, which we also kind of replicate now with Scott, but his center of gravity is so low that he could load that board up with, you know, and he had the thin rail and the fin, giant fin, he could, it would hold. Well, standing up, you have a, you don't have that leverage. And I've noticed you guys, even the, the younger guys that are riding hulls now, I notice they stay down and grab their rail a lot. Well, that's, that's, that's great for hulls because your center of gravity is very low. I, you know, it's hard for me to do because I 
I'm lucky to be able to stand up and go down the line. But if you're flexible enough and you can do that, it's kind of cool to watch guys surf them in a different way. You know, they're like, whoa, that's, we didn't used to do that, you know. You drive your center of gravity down low, like you see Steve in the old movies, he's crouched down low, and when he goes into his turn, he's springing out of the turn and driving the rail on the board. But doing it with your hand and your rail, that's, that's kind of something that's new, that's cool, you know. And I see guys doing it on cutbacks and stuff. So you've taken, some of the guys that learned on shortboards have taken their influence and kind of put it towards what, how they want to ride hulls. So whatever floats your boat, I mean, whatever gets the board to go down the line and work for you. Kind of cool that guys are doing that, but. George did that when he built the first balsa, you know, the second balsa wood board that was a balsa spoon that he built, oh my God, in the early 60s. It started out as a twin fin. If you read the Greeno article in the Surfer Journal that Paul Gross did, there's a picture of it on his parents' boat, and it's a, it's a twin fin. This is way before twin fins. Well, you had the Simmons twin fins, but George had two small fins on it. And he said he kept putting the fins in, taking them off and experimenting, and then he was like, well, it just needs one fin. So that board got the first real, I think that balsa wood spoon got the first real tuna-type fin that he made. Greg's fins, he, Greg knew how to surf his boards off the rail. So when you combine the hull and the thinness of the rail, when you're doing all these, when you see all these pictures, you see how the rail is engaged. So the fin and the rail are working together. They're not out of the water. They're in the water working together. So when you get that dialed in, you can go to a really small fin and move it way far forward because you learn how to ride the board properly. It cracks me up when guys used to get these in the old days, and it's like, I can't ride a little. I'm like, they're, they're just back foot surfers that just don't get it. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, if you don't get it, you don't get it. You can't talk them into it. You know, if they're a back-footed surfer, that's just naturally how they're going to want to surf. But it seems like people are riding everything now. It's great. I think that, I think Thomas and Joel and all the stuff that they did, and Jimmy too, all those guys opened people's minds a little bit, and Tyler, people riding all different kinds of surfboards. It's just more fun, you know. It's, and it's funny nowadays because skateboarders and snowboarders are attracted to hulls because they have toe edge and they're front foot oriented and they know how to switch foot and they have a different feel. It's funny how many snowboarder guys goes, I really like the way little surf. I'm like, well, yeah, you know how to use your toe edge. Whereas a kid that grows up riding thruster, everything's driven from the back foot. They kind of don't get it. Like I said, I appreciate their athleticism and everything, but everything is so overdone. Everything they do, they make it look so hard. I mean, every every turn and everything, it's just there's all this throwing the spray and you know making it look, trying to still have some style and do all that stuff. It's it's uh, and now now you know so you're surfing and you're doing all the aerial tricks and everything. I I I, I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> Like I said, I appreciate the athleticism, but if you're in the air, you're really not, you know, to me, I, you're really not surfing. You're in the air, you know. You might as well just go snowboard or skateboard or something. But then, you know, I look at, then I look at somebody like John John who knows how to really skate good, and 
he puts it into his surfing, you know, and he does it. He's a guy that kind of puts it together with style, you know. There it is. Greg Little faces a sanitary green Malibu wall and an excellent shot by Leroy Granis. The photo proves that it's still possible to get a Malibu wave by yourself. Hold that. He hates this photo, by the way. I would say that moving forward on a haul, you hit a sweet spot. There's, there's a spot on the board where it's the optimum trim spot. So when you come off the bottom and you see us all moving forward, that's what you, you that's your, you're shifting into fourth gear, man. I mean, you're coming off the bottom and your first turn you set up, you do, you're building speed on speed with a hull. Like a lot of people don't realize that, yeah, how, how Greg ran his business or anything, probably, probably selling Yaters and being influenced by Yater and having that trans, transfer over to his shop and how he ran his business. Yeah, they're real, that's real similar and, and uh, Greg's a funny guy. Yeah, he's got a good sense of humor, and, but he's private, you know. I always tried to respect that. Somehow we've been able to be good friends and do business together and never really have very much problems, you know. Maybe it's because we're so far away. <laughs> I mean, the whole reason I do this, because I, I really, I just, ever since I was a kid, I just love surfboards. As soon as I learned how to fix dings, I, I made a board. And I've been obsessed with surfboards. I've, I've had, I don't even, I, I made a list one day and I got into about, I tried to list every surfboard and I just, I, after about six pages, I got lost. I mean, I tried to remember every board and there was a lot of surfboards. So i just obsessed with surfboards. I love surfboards. You know, they're, they're more complicated. They're, they're hard, you know, people think they're like easy to shape they're not easy to shape and do them right at all and i see a lot of bad ones out there and i know what's wrong with them but i'm not telling anybody what's wrong so i know what's wrong with them but i'm going to keep that to myself and let them figure it out and it's good that they figure it out on their own they'll either figure it out or they won't um greg's last board um personal we traded before he moved to Kauai in 85 and um, I rode the crap out of this thing. I loved it. And then I, I buck or I think Alex buckled this one too. And then I fixed it, and I loaned it to Chris Malloy on a film trip. They took to Chile, and it came back in three pieces. But really a good board. Yeah, his personal boards were not only stringers; they were four ounce glass jobs, super super light. You know. This is one of his personals, and that was bought by Matt Miller, and that's the one that I that you have, the new one that I make. And this one was a really good one, Bondo Bullet. This one's been buckled three times. I kept fixing it for Matt, but it's 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 a wall hanger now. He'd have a board for you know different spots, or Malibu. his Malibu boards were different than his Rincon boards, so they weren't all kind of the same. They were kind of tuned to each spot. And everybody always says, oh, the little death machine, yeah, you know, it really, it's only, it only works really good when the waves are, like, it's a perfect point. Well, what board doesn't work better at a perfect point? Every surfboard works better at a perfect point. And back in, 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 the, in the old days, you know, we had two-board quivers. That was it. You just learned to ride your hull everywhere that you surfed. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. If you want to hear more 
of the case studies. We work with some that are important from a historical context, and we also work with some that are contemporaries, you know, younger shapers that are up and coming or have established themselves and are shaping today. So look forward to some other stuff that we're going to make. We have one in the works right now on Troy Elmore that I'm really looking forward to to come out next. Those are going to be located uh, at daydreamsurfshop.com. The Daydream Research Center is a space in our shop that we have about 55 boards right now, um, and this is a project that we're really excited about. We work with dozens of different shapers trying to bring folks a safe place to experiment with different boards. Um, but essentially how it works is you can come in and sign up. We have different membership levels, and we kind of just guide you across the course of trying different things. Um, we also have all the boards listed on our website, daydreamsurfshop.com. You can check those out and feel free to drop us an email. We're really helpful and happy to, to guide you in the direction that you want to go in. Greg, thanks for everything. We really appreciate what you do here at the Daydream Research Center, and we look forward to writing all the boards that KP and Scott are producing. So we hope you enjoy the case study series. We also have some videos from Jack Coleman called the Field Note series. And uh, hopefully those just make you get excited to surf more. And uh, thanks again. <laughs>